another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing fantastic, Jody. You sounded a little bit like uh, Fat Albert there. Yeehaw! Actually, I almost electrocuted myself twice a couple of hours ago, so maybe I've got a little extra juice running through me. Yeah, is yeah. that why you got the, 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 <laughs> the Albert hair. Einstein hairdo going? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Might have just set my hair out. <laughs> wow. You've been electrified. Mm-hmm. Got a question for you, Jody. All right. Do plug-in interfaces, talking about the GUI now, mm-hmm. does the, do they matter? Yes. Simple answer is yes. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> why is that, do you think? Usability. Yeah. If the interface is not a great interface, you can learn to use it. It may not be a pleasure to use it. At the same time, if the interface is confusing or poorly managed, it makes it difficult to get things done in a sense. It's not helpful to your workflow if the interface sucks. That's the best way I could say it. Yeah, I think we're going to drill down a little bit on those points, but I I wholly agree with that. First of all, if you just look aesthetically on the plugin. Like mm-hmm. If you're working long hours and you're working with the same plugins, it's just nice to look at something that doesn't look like it came from a mad professor. Or right? somebody it, that it, puked on a street. <laughs> yes, right. We'll mention some of those later. You know, I'm reminded of the early days of, of plugins like the 90s and stuff where mm-hmm. A lot of the early plugins, they just didn't look good. It was a lot of color and a lot of fake 3D effects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Same thing is like we're talking about something that looks nice. And I mean, the last trend we've had for, ooh, I would say at least almost 10 years now is like analog emulations of gear. There's a lot of so those, yeah. There's a lot of that. Staying true to what they look like is not only because they, oh, it looks like an 1176, fantastic. It must Makes sound it sound better, better, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> but there's the one of familiarity as well. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, if you're somebody that's worked on the actual hardware and now you have the plug-in, you don't have to necessarily relearn something. For example, let's say on the 1176, mm-hmm. how the uh, attack and release knob, they're essentially backwards. Yes. But it's just like so, hardware. Exactly. But if they had changed that mm-hmm. in the software version, that would probably confuse a lot of people that are used to the hardware. It would confuse. Plus, it wouldn't sound as good just because it doesn't look like it. I'm well, kidding, of that. course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that could have been an option. You know, I don't know. But there's one of familiarity there that is important when it comes to that as well. Right. Now, you mentioned the interfaces that they might look horrible, like somebody puked on them, right? Mm-hmm. There is the thing with the inspiration or possibly an off-putting thing when it comes to the interfaces as well. Yeah, if it doesn't look good, it's probably not going to be fun to play around with, work with, that kind of thing. If it's strictly just numbers and sliders, meh, yeah, that's boring. Anybody that's a Logic user, you can try this with yourself right now if you have your <laughs> built-in plugins, right? And you tend to use them. Go and switch to the other mode where it's like you can actually black them out and they're all sliders and numbers. And names. And names. And see how fun so you that know is. what slider is doing what. It just doesn't look cool. Right. And it might sound shallow to say that, but it is inspiring. And we do 
or I know I at least do. You know, mm -hmm. if something looks nice and obviously the functionality goes into it, I'm not going to pull up something that is off-putting to me because I'm less likely to want to really dive into it. I agree. I'm not going to disagree with it. Not to throw the 90s under the bus here, like, but there's there's a lot of like older plugins that their GUI just hasn't aged well at all. Well, they weren't designed well in the first place, and they don't update. They don't change. Right. Thus, they don't age very well. Yeah. I can only think of one where, and there might be more, but one case where it's used the phrase legacy plugins have been updated with an updated GUI, and that's the... Uh, Waves Renaissance bundle. Oh, I haven't seen the updated versions of those. I stopped yeah, using it's been Waves a, so long ago. Yeah, no, it's a few years ago, but they're no longer that blue-looking thing with mm. the prototypical, like, early noughties sliders and numbers, but they're they're a lot more um, modern-looking okay. these days, shall we say. And they may even be uh, resizable. I'm not sure. But, oh, uh, yeah, there, there's one thing. Those are reasons why we think that, you know, obviously the, the good-looking GUI makes us use them. But does it really matter? Let's play devil's advocate. What are some of the reasons why it shouldn't matter? Well, technically, the GUI doesn't change how the plugin actually sounds, despite the fact that I joked about it sounding better because the <laughs> GUI looked better. The reality is, is it does not change the technical sound of what's going on. It's still just operating on the audio via ones and zeros, that go through whatever algorithm the plugin's actually doing. Thus, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's still manipulating the sound as needed. Yeah. I'm reminded of something here where before the Logic built-in plugins got an updated visual representation, shall we say, mm -hmm. whether that was a better or worse or just a lateral move, I'll leave that up to, to the user. There was a time when they started adding different types of compression algorithms into the compressor plugin. The platinum and, compressor. Yes, exactly. That was probably the very tail end of the eMagic era. I'm inclined to think you're right there, but they didn't call them like, oh, this is an SSL or this is something. It was like, well, oh, still this is a class. Really. Well, no, but they're a little bit more descriptive these days. There was a guy, part of this Logic user group online, that was really, really helpful. There was a lot of very knowledgeable people there. There was a guy from Denmark, and I'll just throw his name out there, but his name was Holger Lagerfeldt, and mm -hmm. I'm assuming it still is his name. But uh, <laughs> he was a uh, mastering engineer, I believe, in Denmark, and he had his own studio, and he had a SSL bus compressor. Mm -hmm. And he had actually dialed up the settings on what was close to like an emulation in, in the Logic Compressor. He had done this and he had uploaded these to the user group. It's like, here, check this out, right? Mm -hmm. And it was for the different time constants in the SSL compressor. And by the way he had set them, it wasn't like, okay, it was supposed to be a hundred millisecond release or whatever. It might not be exactly that number on the compressor, what he had done is he had like null tested these against his hardware unit. Mm -hmm. While he said they didn't necessarily null out completely, it was very, very, very close. Right. But my point with that is I wonder how many people still raced out and bought an SSL 
bus compressor when it came available with a proper GUI on it, right? Because it didn't look like it, so it probably didn't sound as good, right? Right. So we're, we're fooled a lot with just listening with our eyes and not with our ears as we and should. as you've harped on the early aughts and the late 90s where plugins were first getting a foothold in terms of what they look like, the reason why a lot of the time they didn't look very great is because having an extravagant GUI meant chewing up processing power. Right. That's really not the case anymore today. It's not no. as dire processing power usage as it was back in the day. Yeah, and it sounds silly possibly to bring it up because we're talking about things like essentially just loading giant image files in mm -hmm. the plugin, right? And all those little bits and bobs added up to being a processor hungry thing. Today, we don't think of that. They're probably better coded and stuff as well today. Let's move beyond the visual aspect of it and talk about actual pieces, parts that end up in the GUI. One of the first things that I can think of is whether a GUI is too simplistic or if it gets too complicated in terms of all the stuff that they throw at you. One of the things that happens on some plugin manufacturers is that they will hide advanced options mm, yeah. in the interface. So you hover over it or you click on a certain section and it pops out something else or it brings up a second interface when you're hovered over it. Oh, man. Sometimes it's nice. Other times it's, can't we do a better design so we don't have to do this? <laughs> yeah. You can go on one end when it's like uh, a company that I mentioned earlier here, but they have like the one knob series. Which yes. is like, it's one parameter. So you go from that on one end and then something that looks like a giant Euro rack for a synth, right? Where just like every parameter is, is available to you. That, obviously, you want to have that balance where you have access to, my opinion here, right? You want to have access to the imperative functionality right away and not have to look around in the GUI to find it, mm -hmm. right? So... But then you also want to have like some additional functionality sometimes, right? Where some parameters might be hidden. It's striking that balance, I think. I mentioned joking here, of course, like Euro rack type of thing, but synth emulations often fall to this, right? Because they can have like every parameter on just the GUI mm -hmm. and it can be very, very intimidating for a user that's not that well-versed in synthesis, right? It's not like you have to be like Venus theory to be able to operate this damn thing, right? <laughs> so, but still get the most of it. There are two actually in Logic that I think suffer from this. Being it's too cluttered? Th too yeah. much stuff just thrown up on the dial, so to speak? Yeah, and it's overwhelming. And the two I'm thinking about is Ultra Beat and the mm -hmm. other one is Sculpture. Yep. Both of those had a different interface, they would be a lot more popular. I don't know what that interface would look like. It's a lot of parameters to, to find in, in one interface. And I mean, it, they're both super deep yeah. with what you can do with everything in there. But it's if all on the surface, generally speaking. And there's even more behind the surface too, which makes it crazier. Yeah, because they even have that where there's like sculpture house additional parameters that you have to like option click on whatever. And of course, in the case of 
ultra beat there's the additional step sequencer and there's uh -huh. for each voice has the same page so it's ridiculously deep most people look at those and they go like what the hell is this you know and until you can wrap your head around it it's it's pretty overwhelming that's the same thing also with reactor instruments especially the early ones and a lot yeah. of the user built ones they get very very unintuitive gui wise because they're yeah. so complicated and here's another one where certainly like the early ones again you're dealing with primarily sliders and numbers and things like so things don't necessarily look all that appealing right some people get turned off by that as well but that was a sign of the times the new ones look amazing other yeah. things that might turn people off are words from our sponsors and we're back. The next step that we're talking about here with GUI interfaces is functionality. What is something that makes functionality functional for you, Chris? It's having a good layout mm -hmm. of the plugin, right? Whatever it may be, where it's obvious, quick access to the important functions and those controls that you use a lot. Yeah. Can you imagine like if you had like a, a compressor plugin and you have to dive through like three different menus to set the threshold or the compression ratio. Like that, that'd be, nobody's hopefully done that. That would be a disaster of a, of a design, mm -hmm. right? Those are really, really important. We hinted at the familiarity of when it's emulations of analog gear. There's that familiarity, right? They're laid out in a certain way mm -hmm. so that, that you can kind of find that. Well, and some what, what, hardware lends itself to being very easy to use despite it being a very simple interface, which coincides with how the software version would show up in the real world. Right. One thing here that we, we talked a little bit about before we started recording today as well, there's also a good idea when you're emulating analog gear to perhaps add additional functionality to it. Uh -huh. You mentioned, for example, in a lot of the UA emulations of compressors and things, that there is a mix control. Yes, that's something they've added on due to user request. Right. But I think that's brilliant because of the way the workflow is at this point. I, I can't think of any hardware compressor that had that because uh -huh. I, I don't think it'd be, well, it would be ridiculously difficult to manufacture, I would imagine. But today, not so much. Should interfaces then be really true to the original gear, or can you take some liberties there to perhaps improve the layout or, or the user experience? Sure. I think it works both ways. Sometimes it's an improvement. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. I guess sometimes we can be a little too clever for our own good, perhaps. But, <laughs> but, but let's say another thing. Just the mix knob on a compressor is, is a pretty obvious one that somebody would want. Sure. Right. But let's say For those that, that also, don't know what the mix knob is, that means that it's 100% compressing the entire value or you dial it back and it's compressing the signal, but it's mixing in only a portion back into the actual signal. It's like having parallel compression built right into the plugin. Right. And who doesn't like that, right? Sure. Another example I can think of is the API uh -huh. consoles, and certainly their EQs, yep. 
where the frequency bounds are stepped. So are there dB values as well? Right, exactly. That's a limitation in the hardware. That's what they were, mm -hmm. right? Should that be in an analog emulation there? Should that be the only thing to, to do? Because that's another one where it's like you can add functionality to this, but now you're going outside of completely like one-on-one -on -one emulation as far as like the sound and the functionality. What's yeah. your view on that? Well, the Luna version or the UA versions of the plugins that they've done of the API console strips and EQs and such, they are true to the original. They step. Mm -hmm. They do not have the parametric thing that you are asking about. I don't have a problem with it. That's how that hardware works. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Because I'm the other side of that. I understand that mindset. Let's say, for example, the, the Slate API EQ that's in the analog mix rack. There is the step functionality, but if you hold down, I think it's option or shift on your keyboard, I can't remember it right now, but you can actually sweep it. Mm. So you have those both things that where it's like, okay, well, this is the way the original works, but here's how you can add some, we'll get some additional mileage out of that. Right. So I think that's one of those things too. That's kind of cool, unless you're like a really locked into, let's say they used to have the actual hardware, right? Where you're like, no, this is the way it works. This step stuff, that it's bullshit, you know? <laughs> I kind of like that. Now, that's a little bit less on the GUI side, but I think it's an important part where you can add and take some liberties. And I don't have a problem with that. I think that's actually cool. Mm -hmm. I don't really have a problem with it either. And I think in terms of added functionality beyond just the user interface, a lot of the times plugin manufacturers will add it into menus if they do it. UA, as Chris mentioned earlier, runs a mix knob on a lot of its compressors now, which was something that users had asked for. It's not something that comes on the original emulated hardware units. There are also emulations in terms of EQs and such where they've changed certain functionality and they express it in their manual if it's changed and how it's changed. Can you think of such an example? Because obviously I'm not a UA guy, but I think the name kind of has that something that I can't recall if it's, I don't remember exactly which one it is off the top of my head and I've only read the manual about it maybe once. So it's hard to say. But Right, but it's presumably something to add functionality in the digital recreation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or something that wasn't available, yeah. On the flip side of that, there's something that just drives me nuts okay. when we're talking about adding functionality. And to me, this is adding a functionality that shouldn't be added. Okay. <laughs> and this comes often with um, channel strip emulations right? where they add the noise feature. Okay. Do you want? Do you know anybody that wants the noise present in their mixes, right? Everything that anybody tried to get rid of in the analog realm, but now that we can get it squeaky clean, it's like, no, let's, let's have the noise there, you know? <laughs> I guess if you're a real purist, cool, but at least have the ability to turn it off. My understanding was with UA ones, their mm -hmm. channel strips recreations aren't adding the noise floor that you're talking about. And well, that's I'm good. I'm assuming you're talking about the Brainworks recreations where they add analog noise and they have the differentiation between up 72 channels. They have the ability to change 
distortion characteristics or harmonics based on certain input dials that you can dial in. Those are interesting things to work with. They're not exactly how the original channel strips work, but UA doesn't do that. Brainworks is one of them that do that on their channel strips mm. where they add noise. The other functionality is whatever to me. I, I, I'm not one that cares about though. I don't use them. I think it's Nonsense is a hard word, but I think it's a nonsense functionality. Well, but UA does me. do it on a couple of their plugins where there is noise that's inherent to the original unit, and you right. can opt to turn that off. Right. That I think is is. I think Waves better. does that too. Waves does that Wave, on certain plugins. Yeah, as well. Waves did that on the old compressors and mm -hmm. their, their channel strips as well. I could be wrong, but I think. In the early versions, that wasn't an option. I could be wrong about that, but I know that now, at least by default, that is turned off. Right. Because I know myself and probably you as well, when you've been sitting and working on the mix and you're sitting there, nothing is playing and you're like, where's that freaking noise coming from? It would always be waves compressor somewhere. <laughs> and that drives me absolutely crazy. I don't know anybody who wants that. But Somebody hey, does, yeah. otherwise it wouldn't be there. I guess, or it wouldn't be a true emulation, right? But Something. anyway, that, that's, that's a functionality thing as well. Here's another weird thing about with the GUIs, though. First of all, I want to bring up the ability to resize the GUI. It should be standard now. It wasn't back in the day in the late 90s, early aughts, but now it should be standard. It really should. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like me and you're older and your eyesight is going, starting to go and you have a lot of pixels on your screen and you got a little <laughs> tiny app emulation, I'm talking to you, Brainworks, right? Because some of their early ones, they don't resize. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that text is small. So that's one that I welcome. Even if like, let's say the, uh, I think it's Neural DSP, mm -hmm. they have at least the option of doing it like small, medium, or large. I get it if you want to save real estate, fine, but give me something so I can actually read it, right? But the one I really wanted to bring up here, and this is a little bit more on a workflow type of thing. When you're turning, air quote, knobs on your GUI, mm -hmm. do you like to go up and down with your mouse or your controller? Or because there's some of them that you have to do a rotating motion. And that drives me absolutely crazy. Do you have a thought on that? I prefer if it's straight up and down or left and right. It makes it a lot right? easier for the directionality of things. I would hate to rotate it in a circle. That's just me. Yeah, it's not pure to the hardware, though, man. <laughs> no, I, no, but that's not – at least have it as an option. I think the slate rack does that where you could have it linear sort of up and down if you're not rotating. I, I don't know anybody who prefers the rotating. I guess I don't know that many people, so there you go. Last one that I want to kind of bring up here. What do you thought on, for want of a better phrase, like adaptive GUIs when it comes to like digital EQs and stuff like that, that don't emulate a piece of gear. It's just precision, digital EQ, that kind of stuff. In terms of? Well, let's say like you're hovering above a parameter and additional parameters show up, that type of thing, as opposed to having... It, it really depends on how big the overkill is. Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes it's a pain in the ass. But that comes down to the workability of the GUI more than anything. Yeah. 
So that's all I think about it. I don't have a lot of plugins that do that. So I don't really pay much attention to it. I'm with you on that. I have, there's one plugin that has all that, which is the infinity EQ Mm -hmm. from Slate again, for whatever reason, I don't reach for that one a lot during the prep for this episode. it, It got me thinking like, well, Am I not using that because it doesn't have necessarily a pretty analog looking interface? Or is it just a habit? I don't know. Could be. Do you have examples of interfaces that work well for you, GUIs? Yeah. Most channel strip console emulations are really nice to work with. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they look the part. The workflow just appeals to me. So I like those. I do like the slate rack for the same reason. Mm-hmm. They're nice to look at. They're they're great. I do like a lot of the Brainworks amp sims, and for the same reason, there there, it's a head. It's like there you go, mm-hmm. and then having the added functionality of changing the IR and stuff on the back and, and getting under the hood a little bit more. But you just have like an amp looking thing. So those work really, really well for me, I think. What about you? Do you, do you have any favorites there? A lot of the UA emulations look exactly like the hardware. Most of the time, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes right. in isolated cases, it's not a great thing. But I don't fault them for it because that's what the original hardware was. It wasn't properly thought out, maybe. Could it be improved in the software? Sure. I'm going to go with the fact that a lot of the stuff I work with, it works well because the interface in terms of the recreation of the hardware works well. Right. You bring up a good point there because I think it all really comes down to one's workflow, right? Now, mm-hmm. just because we have the opinions we do about the, the things that we talked about here today doesn't mean that that's necessarily right for everybody. You have to find that workflow by yourself, right? What works for you? Because there's a bunch of guys that work with Ableton Live, mm-hmm. right? When they have all their built-in plugins at the bottom, they just look like Ableton Live, right? There's mm-hmm. no pretty interfaces in the same way. And obviously can do amazing work. It doesn't have to look like a Poltec for the EQ to sound good. On the flip side of what's looking good, though, do you have any examples that you think that these kind of GUIs, they just miss the mark and I'm not going to work with them because of that? Not so much that I wouldn't work with it, but they do have less than desirable GUIs. One of the ones that comes to mind is the Vocaline plugin from Arts. Amazing technology, does amazing stuff. The interface is a pain in the ass to me. Yeah. Another one that's like that is the Eventide H3000. It's partially like the original hardware, but then it looks dated. It feels like a pain in the ass because everything's up in your face and it's in a non-intuitive fashion. While the interface of the original hardware of the H3000 wasn't necessarily all that intuitive, that unintuitiveness made it into the plug-in as well, unfortunately. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I love all the Eventide stuff and I love the way it sounds. Mm -hmm. That is definitely one that looks like it was designed in 99 and the interface has not changed. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit more harsh than that. I, I'm okay. going to bring up a couple here. And just so that 
you know, I'm not just harping on the waves here, but they just happen to be in, in the crosshairs for the first two. One of the signature plugins that they did was Butch Vig's vocals. Mm -hmm. Have you looked at that thing? No, I haven't looked at any of their stuff in several years. Yeah, I mean, and you, part you, of it had a lot to do with the fact that I just wasn't keen on their business plan. But at the same time, I never really used the signature stuff either, mainly because the interfaces were terrible. This is one of those where it's like, you know, yeah, love Butch Big. I think he's done amazing stuff, right? This plug-in GUI is not it, right? <laughs> it, it, I don't know who came up with it and decided that that was a good idea. But that was one of them for me. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not using that. Right. Another one, again, sorry, Waves. It's uh, Andrew Shep's Parallel Particles. Again, looks like something out of a sci-fi movie to me. And I'm not, I'm not into it. Just so I'm not bagging on waves here. I'm a big fan of Plugin Alliance. There's Shadow Hills Mastering Compressor. Yes, it looks exactly like the hardware. Not a fan. Last one, last negative thing I'll say today. And it's again, it's a company I love. I love heaviosity stuff. The Gravity the instrument. Mm. Oh, yeah, I wish they'd rework the interface on that because it sounds absolutely glorious and the functionality is amazing and everything that's in there. The GUI is uh, less than desirable. Less than desirable. Yeah, thank you. That's a good way of putting it. But uh, do plug-in interfaces matter? Yeah, yes. unfortunately, I think they do. Yes, yeah. they do. Yes, they do. Let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? You're not going to believe this, but this actually was a Facebook ad that showed up for me. Whee. And I'm like, wow, this looks cool. I had never heard of this company. It was a company called Black Salt Audio. They have a plugin called Silencer. Hmm. What it does is like for people that are recording live drums, we all know that bleed is a problem. It's just the nature of the deal, right? Silencer, what that does, it's designed for that. It's a great GUI, <laughs> but it takes care of that. It's like a gate, but it looks for certain drum pieces, mm. like a kick, top snare, bottom snare, or toms. And it does a really, really good job of dealing with the cymbal bleed, like hi-hat bleed or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed. I've been playing around with it a bit, and... It's a cheap one too. I think it, I think it's on sale now by the time of recording this. But normally, I think it's like fifty bucks. Hmm. If you're dealing with live drums, you know what a pain in the ass that can be. That's my Friday find for this week: Silencer by Black Salt Audio. What do you got, Jody? I'm going with a new amp that is a signature amp from a famous guitar player by the name of Billy Gibbons, who is the guitar player for ZZ Top. He has teamed up with Magnetone Amps for a signature amp called the Super 59. The Super 59 is quite the cool-looking amp. It comes with lizard skin, I think, or snake skin covering for the Tolex. On top of, of course that, it does. <laughs> it is done up with EL34 tubes. It is 45 watts of Class AB power. It has a couple of different gain stages. It also has an effects loop that is tube buffered, which is kind of cool. The problem with this amp is they're making six of them and they are very pricey. They are 7,000 pounds. 
Each one is custom signed by Billy himself. They're only making six of them. So if you're one of those six people, good on you. Get on it, right? It'll probably be worth a fortune in about 15 years, right? But Something yeah. like that. While cool. we've got your attention, we ask that you go to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list to be eligible for future giveaways, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word GUI. That's actually three letters, G-U-I. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page. We'll put it into consideration for a future episode. That also see you next week. Thanks for listening, people. I'll talk to you later, Jody.